listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. morning, church. Let me extend my welcome to you. As Doug said, my name is Gabe. It's a joy to be with you worshiping this morning. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Community Church. I want to remind us all that our vision as a church, our hope for this young church plant in New Braunfels is to bring God's story to life in order that we can see lives redeemed, families transformed, communities blessed, and more churches planted. And we do believe that's going to become a reality as we take God's word seriously and apply it to our lives. That's why this sermon series that we're beginning today called You Are Here uh, is good for us. This, what we're getting into over the next five weeks is the foundational building blocks of bringing God's story to life. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in West Virginia. West Virginia, among other things, is known for beautiful mountains and rolling hills. Every once in a while, my dad would allow my brother and I to go to the golf course with him and some buddies. Uh, sometimes I'd get to share a golf cart with one of my dad's friends who would always lean in before the morning started and say, you know, golf carts were created to go a lot faster, but someone puts a governor on them so they don't. And then he'd take off and there, there's that jolt of starting a golf cart. He'd take off and the rest of the day riding with him would be getting to the top of a hill, him putting it in neutral and letting gravity take over to the bottom of the hill and up the next hill just to show what it could do. What does that have to do with us? Church, when we limit our spiritual lives to church activity, to religious experiences, it's like living with a governor on. We're, we're ceasing to tap into the power for which we were created. God has actually given us everything we need to make a difference in this world. And most of us live our lives wanting to make an impact on the world, wanting to leave the world a better place than how we found it. We want to have influence in the lives of people around us. But we get to those questions about how much influence do I actually have? Most of us don't feel that powerful or like we have that much to offer. But the truth is we're each more powerful than any of us think. God has given us all the resources and opportunities to be used in our circles of influence. And we're each uniquely positioned to bring glory to him, to demonstrate that power, to make a difference. But I believe the choice of whether we're going to do that is ours. From the beginning of the Bible... Throughout all of human history, our identity and our purpose have been told to us. They haven't changed. We were created to make a difference. You think about it from the beginning of the story of the Bible. The Bible starts in the book of Genesis. Genesis means origins or beginnings. From the very beginning of the beginning, we're told this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beautiful first verse of the Bible. What does that tell us? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It should tell us that chapter 1 of Genesis is not about how God created. Chapter 1 of Genesis is not really about what God created. Genesis chapter 1 is about who created. Genesis chapter 1 is about the truth 
that everything exists by God, through God, and for God. And later on in that first chapter of the Bible, we see that humanity, people, men and women, were created in God's image. We were created in the image of God, and we were given instructions to multiply, to fill the earth, and to rule over it. Humanity was created different than the rest of creation. We were set apart from the rest of creation to represent God in the world and multiply. As the story of the Bible goes, it didn't take very long for humanity to screw that up. <laughs> we get to Genesis chapter 3. And while we were created to worship our creator, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And people chose to worship creation instead of worshiping the creator God. That distorted everything. It twisted everything. It perverted everything. It fractured everything. Even that original mission that God gave for humanity. See, anytime we hear about the people of God multiplying in the Bible, we should be thinking about it in terms of physical multiplication and spiritual multiplication. It should have been one and the same, but even that was fractured by the fall and humanity was able to reproduce, but not necessarily reproduce worshipers of God. Everything was fractured by the fall. And how did God respond when people rebelled against him and trusted that creation would make them happy instead of their creator, God? Well, he could have justifiably wiped out all of people and all of creation. Genesis 3 tells us that God came into the garden where Adam and Eve were like a rushing wind. And God asked a question. It's interesting that, that the being in the universe that knows everything about everything would ask a question in response to sin. See, Adam and Eve were created, and the Bible says they were naked and unashamed, and I don't even know what that's like. But in that, when they sinned, the first thing they did was cover themselves up and hide. So God comes into this garden that he created to be in their perfect presence. And he asks the question, where are you? And it's not because he didn't know because God knows everything about everything. He said, where are you? Because he was giving them an opportunity to step back into right standing with him. So from the inception of sin, God begins this pattern of mercy, of not giving them the punishment that they deserve. And in the midst of that, he explains to them that there's gonna be consequences without condemnation. He's not gonna wipe them out. He's actually gonna allow them to continue on. God is going to continue his mission to allow people to fill the earth in order that they can rule over it and represent him in all of creation. Allowing them to continue reproducing is God demonstrating grace. So this loving God over all creation sees his image bearers rebel against him and what's the very first thing he does? He comes back into their presence, allows them, invites them to step back into a right relationship with him as he demonstrates mercy and grace. And you think, wow, maybe they'll, they'll lean into this for a little while until we get to Genesis chapter 4 and realize that, that the, first, the first children of Adam and Eve uh, had a family feud of their own. There were two sons, Cain and Abel, and they had a dispute over worship. And Cain, the older brother, ended up killing Abel, the younger brother. Oh my goodness. Genesis chapter five begins with God repeating that he created people in his image to bless them in order that they would do what? Multiply and fill the earth and rule over it. 
In Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, we have the familiar story of Noah's Ark, uh, a story that there, is, there are so many people in the earth, but God can only find one righteous man, a man that God says isn't righteous because of his actions, but because of his faith. And the rest of society, the rest of the population of the world is not honoring God. What does God do? The same pattern. He shows consequences without condemnation. He exhibits mercy and grace. And while there is judgment brought on the earth, God also brought salvation in the midst of that. Surely, surely humanity will learn from that. At the end, when the, the floods that God brought recedes from the earth and Noah and his family are able to get out of the ark that God told them to create before the flood came, God says this when the floods recede. Then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread all over the earth and do what? Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. We see that begin to happen, and God initiates this new covenant with humanity at the beginning of chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's mission didn't change. And we see that new covenant with humanity throughout the rest of chapter 9. We see the population of the earth begin to grow. Nations begin to form in chapter 10. Surely we're on a better trajectory, right? Just wait. <laughs> chapter 11 starts this way. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shiner, not the one in Texas. I know Texans tend to think the Bible is written specifically to Texans. And they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Wait a minute. Genesis chapter 1. Whose name is this all about? God's. What's the purpose for humanity? To fill the earth. And in Genesis chapter 11, after this pattern of rebellion and mercy and grace and rebellion and mercy and grace and rebellion and mercy and grace, humanity says, let's just stay here and make a name for ourselves. Let me ask you, when you wake up in the morning, who do you think about making a name for? Who do you think about making famous throughout your day? The people in this town called Babylon thought about making a name for themselves. People continue the pattern of rebellion. And this is what happens. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. I think this is actually the, the writer of Genesis demonstrating his sense of humor because they were building a tower to the heavens. And what's the very next thing we see? God had to come down to find their precious little tower. Then the Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon. This is where we get our word babble or babbling because language was confusing. 
Therefore, it is called Babylon, for the Lord confused their language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Can you imagine how terrifying that would have been? To suddenly get to a point where where people you've known and you've interacted with your whole life, now you have no way to communicate? That That would be very difficult. But God was proving a point. He's demonstrating mercy and grace again. He's saying, my mission is going to take place in spite of you or through you. And if you're not going to honor me, I'm going to do what I plan to do in spite of you anyway. So the earth is now filled with people. Filled with people, but they're not worshipers. If we're paying attention to the story of the Bible, which is a tremendous story, we should be on the edge of our seats wondering what God's going to do next. And this is what's important for us to understand today as we think about our place in the story of God. Genesis chapter 11 goes on to tell about the family line of this one family uh, through the, the scattering of people. And we get to a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The very first thing that God does that I want us to to lock in today is that when God invites us into a relationship with him, he's giving us a new identity. When God invites us into a relationship with him, he's giving us a new identity. Specifically, God's people are a blessing people. But listen to what God told Abraham. Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house. He's asking Abraham to leave everything that he knows to follow him. They would have remembered the terror of what happened as different nations were formed based on languages and cultures and safety. God is asking Abraham to leave everything that he knows in order to follow God. This wasn't like God saying, Abraham, it's time for you to go to college. You know, we're going to go out on this adventure. This is going to be a new season of life. They didn't do that. This wasn't Abraham having an entrepreneurial spirit saying, I want to start something new, so I'm just going to take initiative and go do this on my own. They didn't do that. Your identity and your work were rooted in your father's identity and your work. You carried on the name and you carried on the family business. But God is saying, you're going to have to leave everything you know and follow me. What would you question if you were Abram at that point? My first question would be, how can I be sure that this is the voice of God? How can I be sure that this is God speaking to me and not those, those shrimp tacos that I let sit in the fridge for just a little bit too long that I ate last night? How do I know it's not that stirring up in me? How do I know that this is truly God? I think the answer is actually not that difficult. I think Abram is able to look back at the history of God's character and the way God works and see that it's God. But have you ever struggled with that fear before? Have you ever struggled when you've been confronted with an opportunity to to do something or to speak something good into the life of someone else? 
and you get hung up with the paralysis of analysis, right? You're thinking about it so much that the opportunity passes you by. Then you're looking at it in the rearview mirror saying, I should have done this, I could have done that. But you missed it because you weren't sure that was God talking to you. How does Abram know that this is God speaking to him. He looks at God's character. He looks at God's pattern throughout human history and says, this has to be God because this is how God works. God is consistent. His mission doesn't change from the beginning. He wants us to fill the earth with the knowledge of his love and goodness. And that can't be experienced apart from him. So he's sending Abram out into the world to be a blessing to bring God's presence into the world the way it was designed to be from the beginning. This also teaches us the lesson that following God will require you to leave some things. Following God will require you to leave some things. For Abraham, he has to leave his country, his relatives, his father's house. We should note that God loves us as we are. God loves us so much that he's willing to meet us where we are. But God loves us far too much to allow us to stay the way that we are and to remain where we are in life. And he doesn't say, clean up your act and come with me. He says, I want to invite you back into my presence, regardless of where you are right now. But for all of us, we're going to have to leave some things behind when we follow God. Some of them are going to seem like good things. Some of them are going to seem like like things that aren't inherently bad. Maybe you find your identity in your work. Maybe you find your identity in being a perfect parent or at least coming across that way. Being a good parent, being a good supervisor or employee aren't inherently bad things. But if those take the place of what God should be in your life, if those are the things that force you to think about how you're going to schedule your week instead of scheduling your week for the glory of God, you may have to leave those primary identities behind and come and follow God. Others of us are wrapped up in behavior that identifies us. Maybe it's an unhealthy or dysfunctional relationship. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an addiction or a habit that's really preventing us from worshiping God. God's saying, I invite you from where you are to come follow me, to come with me but you're going to have to leave something behind to do that. He loves us where we are, but he invites us to leave the things that are inhibiting us from him behind in order that we come and follow him. What might you have to leave behind in order to walk in step with God? And how does God comfort Abram's fears? When he tells Abram to go out and be a blessing, he promises that that he's going to show Abram the place that he's going to take him. God's going to stay with him. If our greatest problem is separation from God, the greatest gift that God can give us is his own presence. If our greatest problem is truly sin and being separated from God, the greatest gift God can give us is his presence. And God is inviting us to say, where I move, you move. Right? God is saying, when I go, I want you to come with me. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? If you want to be in the presence of God, you need to be where God is moving. And God is always out moving among people. And then he says, after he tells Abram to leave, to go, 
Two times God tells Abraham, I will make you into something. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will make your name great. The word for make is actually two different verbs there. The first one, I will make you into a great nation, is to form or fashion something. You could think about forming or or fashioning pottery or woodwork, uh, you know, to turn these resources into something very different. But another meaning for this word was, was to make a meal, to make a feast. Believe it or not, that's, that's my favorite use of this term, make. To take all these resources and supplies and to, to put them together to make them something special and new. This idea of, of making people into something, like making them a feast, reminds me of a, a dear friendship I have from when we lived in Pennsylvania. About once a season, my friend Jeff would invite our family and a number of other people to come have a Syrian feast that he was going to make at his house. There was going to be lamb, there were going to be grape leaves, everything made from scratch, rices, yogurt, salads, everything. I love that time of year when I would see Jeff and he'd say, hey, we're, we're due for another feast Are you going to come? It's like whatever's on the calendar that day is getting moved because we're going to this Syrian feast. Whenever Jeff would talk about it, it would make me crave the meal immediately. Then whenever we'd show up at the house, before you could see anything, you could smell it, and it would make you crave it even more. Then you'd get to look at it before you could just dive in. You had to look at it and let that aroma trickle up into your nose. When you looked at it, you craved it even more. And it was one of those meals that the more you ate, the more you wanted to eat because you didn't know when you were going to get it again exactly. So you'd eat until you were a little bit uncomfortably full. Everything about that feast made me crave it more. And in the same way, the presence of the people of God should make others crave God more. Your presence in other people's lives should make other people crave God more. When they see the way you live, the way you speak, the way you steward the resources that you have been blessed with, it should cause them to crave God more. Even if they can't articulate that. But the way we live should be like God has made us into this feast that draws people in to share what we have. And it's not just our stuff, it's God himself. What does it mean that God is making you into something It means he's going to use your life experiences, the resources he's given you, and your present circumstances to produce something for for his glory and for others' good. And let me assure you that God doesn't waste anything. He will use your strengths and he will use your wounds. He will use everything to make you like an aroma that causes people to crave God. You think about this, this figurehead that we talked about the last several weeks, David, this man of great faith, this man after God's own heart in the Old Testament. King David, before he was King David, was still a warrior and a poet. And God redeemed those things to use them for his glory. Things that were already wired into David's DNA. But then you look into the New Testament and someone like this great guy, Paul, that we talk a lot about, Paul wrote letters to various churches telling them about how to live to to glorify God. And in his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul promised them, Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts you in your affliction in order that you may comfort others in any affliction. Do you hear what he tells them? God will redeem your pain and he will comfort you in order that you will be equipped to redeem the pain of others. God will use your strengths, God will use your wounds, 
God will use anything God wants to use to bring his glory and good for others. Do you believe that you were made to glorify God in every circumstance in life? And God tells them, I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you and you steward your blessings, you will grow numerically. I am going to make your name famous throughout the earth. You see, the people in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 wanted to make a name for themselves. Now God is telling Abram, I'm going to make a name for you and it's going to be a great name. But that only works when Abram is being a representative of the God who sent him. We have been given a new identity, and that is to be what God intended us to be in the first place. Image bearers representing God to others, showing and telling the good news of the gospel. Showing and telling the good news of who God is. The God who is generous, the God who is loving, the God who is merciful, the God who is gracious, the God who blesses indiscriminately. That's how Abram's people are called to live. The more time people spend with you, the more natural it should seem for them to take their next step with God, whether they seem seven steps away or 7,000 steps away. Your presence in their life should cause them to crave God more. We've been given a new identity as a blessing people. And the next thing that we're told is that we've been set apart from the world to be sent back into the world. God tells Abraham, go and be a blessing and bless all the peoples of the earth. They will all be blessed by you. This is beautiful because here's the beginning of God's plan to bring redemption to the world. God's not calling them to to tell people, come to our services every weekend. He's saying, go to all the nations and represent me to them. This is where the church in our culture has to grow a lot. We actually have to shift our perspective from internally focused to externally focused. Only through a shift from being internally focused to being externally focused will we really begin to live in the power that we were created to live in. When we're internally focused, we tend to to treat Christianity like it's a club that we get to be a part of. And we tend to measure our effectiveness by How good's your music on the weekend? And how many things are you a part of uh, in church activity? But to have an external focus is to begin thinking about how is God's love and character being demonstrated in your life every day, all day. Internally focused churches can tend to live based on fear. Externally focused churches tend to live based on power. Let me explain that. Uh, when, when churches become insulated and inward focused, we tend to be filled with people who fear that the world is going to infect us, so we need to stay away from the world. Churches that operate externally, they think about the power that they're bringing into the world, tend to believe they have the antidote and the world needs it, and they're going to go at all costs to bring that antidote to the world. Do you live based on fear, insulating yourself from others? Or do you believe that you have power to go bring hope and healing to a world in desperate need of it? We need to make the shift of thinking about our effectiveness from not filling our calendars with church activity, but how much are we going into the world bringing God's presence to it? Do you believe God wants to use you to bring others to him? Do you believe that? Do you believe God wants to use you to bring others to him? What do you specifically ask God to do through your life? 
Because as I said before, God's going to work through you or he's going to work in spite of you. But our joyful purpose is found in moving where God moves. And he's always moving among other people. You might be thinking, maybe God's going to move through someone else. Uh, maybe God moves through, through pastoral staff and, and, and church staff, but surely not me. Maybe it's people who volunteer extra or who have read the Bible through and through, but, but God's not going to work through me. Let me reframe the question that you need to ask. The question isn't whether you are qualified to carry out the mission of God. The question is, how qualified is God to keep his promises? Do you believe God is qualified to keep his promise, to make his name known throughout the earth? See, it's not about how much capacity you have. It's how much belief you have that you're supposed to honor him by going where he's moving. You look at this relationship between Abram and God. Abraham is called to, to go and be a blessing, and God is doing the rest of the heavy lifting. We've been called to follow God, to walk in his presence. Do you believe that you're a part of the solution, that you are a part of the mission of God, that God wants to use you to bring other people into a relationship with him? Think about it this way. There's a very popular series called Mission Impossible, right? Mission Impossible always begins with this impossible task, and then there's a question that follows it up. If you choose to accept. And then every episode or every movie comes around getting the right people involved, and then they, they handle the impossible mission. I looked it up. That happened 171 times in the TV show and six times in counting in movies. Are we beginning to catch on that when the right people are in the equation, none of these impossible missions are actually impossible? They keep figuring it out. How much more possible is it for us, the team that God has assembled, to do this impossible mission when God is committed to it? This seems like a mission that is far too big for any of us, and that's right. But it's not our mission. It's us joining God's mission. Simply put, the role of the church is the role of the people of God throughout all of human history to bless the world. That purpose began at the beginning. It was reiterated in Genesis 12. It was perfectly demonstrated in Jesus who blessed us when we didn't deserve it through the cross and by bringing God's permanent presence into our lives through the resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the good news, that we who didn't deserve to be blessed were blessed by God for the purpose of being a blessing to others. We don't own the blessing of God and we don't get to decide who deserves the blessings of God. Being a blessing people was passed along from Jesus to the church. Followers of Jesus have inherited the blessing, meaning that we are free to bless everyone and we are responsible for blessing everyone. This includes people like us and people not like us. People we like and people we don't like. People who share our values and people who don't share our values. We are called to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And boy, do we need it in this earth. You don't have to go far into the news to see how hate crimes are escalating in our culture and 
through every culture in the world, really. That should grieve us. And the world looks at how the church is responding and they see an inwardly focused organization. Jesus didn't call the world to go to the church. He called the church to go to the world. God's people should be on the front lines of society ready to bless all types of people. By God's people, that means if you're a follower of Christ, that's you. And we come back to the heart of that question, but how much influence do we really have? Where do we begin? That's the point of this whole sermon series. You are here. So we're going to begin right here. We're going to begin right here in a couple of different ways. Over the course of the last seven months of our church, our young church meeting in this school building, we have done some things to just try to show up and bless this school that we meet in. We have done that to the extent that now the the administrators and the, the guidance counselor are reaching out to us saying, hey, if you really want to bless us, we can help you channel that in a direction. Here are some things that we need. So at the end of last school year, the school counselor reached out to me and said, could you, could you provide toiletries and maybe food and maybe mentoring for people in our school? So throughout this month, and we're going to talk about the practical side of this more in a moment, we're going to, we're going to swing for the fences and try to do all those things for the school who is asking this church for help. How are we going to live out the power of the gospel? How are we going to live out being a blessing people? We're going to do it by being right here. We don't just want to be renters from this school. We want, to be, we want to be a place that they are glad that we're meeting in this school. By the grace of God, we've demonstrated that a little bit to the point where we've earned their trust and now they're asking for help. So we need to turn up. How else do we need to live this, this calling to be a blessing people out in our everyday lives? I think it needs to move from this gathering place into the everyday stuff of life. In fact, I, I think we need to be very intentional with how we're blessing. I think we should be developing a blessing strategy in our week-to-week lives. If you don't already have a strategy of how you want to bless people in your everyday life where you live, work, and play, here's the baseline I want to give you for this week and, and maybe the following weeks after that. Go into this week, go from this place with your sights set on blessing three people. Some, for some of you, it's going to be like just three people. And for others of you, you're like going to be blessed people. Ugh. Go from this place thinking about your new identity and the purpose that, that we were all created for to represent God to the world and to reflect him to the world and try to bless three people. And let me raise the odds a little bit. Make sure one of them doesn't deserve it. That's going to be what's difficult. And when that moment comes, when you're like, is this the time when I'm supposed to do the good thing or say the good thing to bless somebody else? Don't suffer from the paralysis of analysis. Don't catch yourself thinking. But instead, remember, you were blessed not because of you, but because of a great and loving God who is merciful and gracious. And he gave you the blessing you didn't deserve. Why? Not so that it would rest in you, but so that it would move through you. If we are truly going to be a blessing people and bless this school and bless everywhere we live, work, and play, we're going to have to start believing God, not just believing in God. And I think that's a major difference. Abraham didn't just believe in God. He believed God. 
and he put everything at stake to follow God. For us to be a blessing people, we have to believe that God is going before us, working in the lives of others, even if they can't recognize it. We have to believe that God is going to draw people into relationship with him through these little blessings that we start providing everywhere we go. We have to believe that God is going to multiply a people through what he can do and we can't do apart from him. We need to trust that God is going to show up and show off in the lives of others. And I believe God is waiting for us to do that. Will you believe? Because that's what we're called to. Heavenly Father, God, we, we look at your word and we are in awe of the pattern of mercy and grace that you've shown people throughout all of human history. God, we are no different from the people who have preceded us, who rebelled against you. God, we confess that there are so many times when we've been preoccupied with making a name for ourselves instead of making much of your name. God, we thank you that, that while we were undeserving, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us in order that we could experience the blessing of your presence and God, we pray that we would steward every blessing that we have for your glory and for the good of others. Would you remind us of our identity, that we were made in your image to be a blessing to represent you in this world? Would you remind us of our calling, that we are set apart from the world, we were made different from the world in order that we could go into the world and bring your presence? God, would you help us to believe you, that you're already at work in the lives of others? and you're calling us to participate in the work that you're already doing. Would you make us a blessing people? And would you help us trust you with the results? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 